Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus would. I have the privilege of having a fellow member of the Ambassadors Forum, Adrian Toder, back on the show today. Also, we will have an exciting surprise to announce at the end of the show, so stay tuned. Adrian is a founding member of the Ambassadors Forum. He has a master's degree in teaching from Washington State University and has been studying apologetics and discussing and debating with unbelievers for the last 20 years. He's married with four kids and currently works as an operations manager in the aerospace industry. Adrian, welcome to the show. Good to be back on. You have an interesting and what I would call remarkable family faith legacy, starting with your grandfather in Romania. Tell us that story. Sure thing. I happened to be born in Romania when it was still a communist country. I wasn't there much. In fact, I came to America when I was three. But we were raised in the shadow of my grandfather, who was not only the kind of patriarch of the family, Mm. but also this spiritual giant Mm. to not only us, but in a sense to many in our Romanian community and in the country as a whole. He was a pastor and an evangelist at a time under communism when that was not only frowned upon, but that could cost you your, your freedom and sometimes your life. Wow. And he inspired us with the stories of his adventures against communism. It was, mm. it was kind of a, a cool thing to hear. And it was really cool to realize that this spiritual giant who we admired, other people saw him and realized that he was a great man. And we actually saw that his public persona was the same as a private persona. He had his faults, he had his issues, but he was just a good man. Brave, uh, outgoing, fun. And most of all, just an absolutely devoted to Jesus Christ in a way that I haven't seen in, in, in anybody else. I mean, mm. he not only brought many to the faith, but he was a, kind of the anchor in so many people's faith to say, mm. if this guy can contend against the might of the communist government in, in, in a way that is bold and brave and, and willing to, to risk everything for it, maybe we can too. And what made him so disliked by the communists was that he was a very active member in the underground church. He led many groups. He was frequently being chased by the uh, by the secret police. They'd pull him in to interrogate him. They tried to get him to give names and try to have him denounce the people he was with. They would frequently, again, uh, rough him up in, in, in various places. Now, what made him safer than most was that he became fairly famous mm. and he would actually be on a radio show. Actually, he had, it was on Radio Free Europe. And wow. this was during a time when the communists, thankfully, was starting to try to put on a better face to the rest of the world. <laughs> and they weren't going to make some, you know, a guy like that disappear. Right. Mm. But I didn't realize how big of a, a personality he was until I actually went and traveled in Romania. About 15 years ago, I was in Romania and just traveling around. Yeah. And I happened to go to a little mountain village in the middle of nowhere. I mean, the kind where you backpack in and there's a gravel road. And we literally just knocked on a random door and said, we're looking for a place to stay. Um, we stayed for a couple of days with this old lady under the mountains in Romania. Come to find out, she had been brought to the faith by my grandfather 50 years before. No way. When he had come <laughs> into this village and wow. preached. Wow. And... Wow. Stories like this come up all the time where mm. he would you know, travel in various places, preach the word, and people came to Christ. Wow. How would you say that that 
rich spiritual heritage affected your own personal faith in Christ? So because he was the pastor of the church I grew up in, he led me into the early steps of faith. Uh, He not only baptized me, but just simply was the example of faith that I knew that no matter what was going on, no matter how much I struggled in my early life, whether it was doubts or whatever it was, I knew, hey, there's this guy and he's my grandfather and he has this faith that if I don't feel it right now, I know that he's got it. I'm going to rely on that for now. Hmm. It really was nice to have that kind of carry through in my early childhood. Before my faith became my own, it was carried along by people like my grandfather. Hmm. You used an interesting phrase there, and I've heard you use it when you're talking about apologetics, and that is, even if you don't have the faith or the answers or whatever it is at the time, just knowing somebody else has it is very helpful. And so you've talked about that in apologetics where you don't have to know everything. You just need to know that some Christian out there knows the answer, and even that gives you peace. And so that's a great example of faith from your grandfather. What are some other examples where his faith or his approach affected how you got into apologetics, either for the good or for the negative. He was most of all a praying godly man. His face was played out in the fact that he wanted to preach the word to everybody he met. He spoke fairly broken English, but he didn't care. <laughs> he would go tell the bank teller about Jesus in mm. his, his broken English. He would stop and chat with anybody who would talk to him. Mm. And to me, that was... It was sometimes embarrassing. You'd want to just go buy a stinking candy bar at the store, <laughs> and instead you were preaching to, the, uh, <laughs> to the, the shop owner. So that was an example to me to want to share my faith the way he did. I was always more embarrassed, especially because I always feared that I wouldn't know what to say. He somehow knew what to say, and it wasn't apologetics related. He would touch on what he knew about people in general, about the fact that they have a sense of guilt, they know that they're sinful Mm -hmm. people, and he would extend the idea that Jesus was here to save you from that. Mm. And back when he was doing this, I think America was a little bit of a different place. People understood that you could start from there. There were many things that my Romanian church did very well. One of the things that didn't do extremely well was teach clear, solid thinking and apologetics. And I think because of that, some people grounded their faith in their experience, and things like my grandfather's faith, I saw many start to fall away when the challenges of atheism and secularism started to creep into our circles. In fact, quite a few members of my family had that experience where they, having my grandfather's faith and even their own experiences just didn't hold. The faith hadn't become theirs, and they didn't have enough reasons to hold on to it. And so as a result, a lot of the people I knew and grew up with started to fall away. Your introduction to apologetics was because you were personally looking for answers. You were saying, hey, I want my faith to not just be from my heart, but also from my mind. And I want to think clearly, and this all has to make sense. What did that look like for you when you first were struggling and looking for an answer and found a piece of apologetics that kind of resonated with you? I wish I could say it was a nice, easy transition where I just said, <laughs> I need good answers, and I started delving into it. But it was, it was a little more embarrassing than that. I had an older brother, a couple years older than me, raised in this, obviously in the same circles I was, but he started down the road of secularism as, we, as he got older. And at one point, I was probably 16, 17 years old. He was obviously 18 or 19, and he came to us as a family and said, I'm just not a Christian anymore. I'm an atheist. Hmm. And we were fairly shocked because... 
this wasn't common in our circles. Sure. Mm. And he was fairly antagonistic towards my faith in particular. And we were decent friends and we got along, but yeah. he began to challenge my faith. And mm. I remember one night, again, I was probably 16 or 17, and he pretty much said to me, why are you a Christian? What's, what's, you know, what the heck? And I realized the question was both kind of to challenge me because I'm his younger brother and what do I know? And also a serious question. Well, why are you a Christian? I mean, yeah. that was, you couldn't ask for a better setup. <laughs> I had lived 16, 17 years of my life and it all came up to this moment where I was given the opportunity to answer, why am I a Christian hmm. in front of an unbeliever? What came out of my mouth was in so many words, because my mommy told me so. <laughs> That must have been so convincing to an older brother. <laughs> oh, he was he was floored. Uh, so it, it was it was embarrassing. I mean, it was embarrassing that I had no real answer other than my mom told me so, and I see the life of people around me who are decent people, and mm. they're that was it. That was mm. that was it. And I walked away realizing this was pathetic, <laughs> um, and I knew I needed something more. So for a while, I kind of realize I'm going to need more. I need to get myself equipped. And it just so happened, actually, fairly soon after that, I was coming home in the car with my mom. Again, I'm about 17 years old, and she's listening to KPDQ. I owe my pursuit of apologetics to KPDQ. On the radio was a guy. He was talking, and he he wasn't preaching. He was discussing moral relativism. And I caught about halfway through, but I was absolutely fascinated. We got home. And my mom went inside, and I stayed in the car. And I continued to listen for about 45 minutes while this guy, I didn't know who he was, talked about moral relativism. And something clicked with me where because I was in a public high school, because I had started to encounter these things, the way he spoke, the way that he used clear thinking to argue for Christianity, Hmm. it hit that spot that I was was searching for. And I went inside and told my mom, I said, there was this guy on the radio. I don't know who he was. I got to find out who he was. And she ended up calling the radio station. Some really nice lady answered and said, you know, what can I do for you? And she said, well, there was this guy on the radio. He was at such and such hour on yeah. such and such day. Uh, who was he? Oh, that was, uh, that was Greg Kokel. <laughs> <laughs> and she was nice enough to actually make a recording and sent me a tape. Wow. And I have that tape to wow. this day. It's, wow. It's, and anyway, that got me started to stand to reason to Greg Kokel mm. and started down that journey where I, I have been ever since. It's been, wow. uh, what, two decades now. Wow. Well, that what an inspiring story of your introduction to apologetics. And I know that it has been your passion that has been one of the drivers for getting the Ambassadors Forum started You know, here at Southwest Hills. As you've gone from that sort of kid in the back of your mommy's car, you know, not knowing who you were listening to on the radio, and you've put in the work, you've put in the effort and the study and the engagement of the last 20 years. What are some of the insights, what are some of the takeaways that you've learned as you've studied that topic in Christianity? The first and most important is that Christianity really is a thinking man's religion. It really is. If Christianity is true, then it matches the way the world is. And the more I study, the more I realize that is absolutely true. And we as Christians should not be afraid to delve into any subject because our truth lies in God and any truth is God's truth. Mm, um, I spend time in this arena because this is what I'm passionate about. I fully realize that 
there is more to Christianity than apologetics. There's far more, and far sure. more, and, and things that are equally, if not more important, than apologetics. But it is good to have people in the church who are focused on one thing. I frequently have people who will challenge me and say, look, you shouldn't try to argue people into the kingdom of heaven. Arguments and so on are not fruitful. And you can argue people into the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> and not only have I seen it done, I've done it. Hmm. That's not to say that it was somehow me, Adrian, that led them to the, to the kingdom. Sure. But God used those things to lead people into the kingdom of heaven. The first person I ever brought to Christ was a young man questioning his faith. He was raised in the church, never really became mm. a, a true believer, and was now flirting on the edge of wanting to leave the church because he thought it was a bunch of fairy tales. And he began to ask me questions. And God works in, in wonderful ways. I was maybe 22 years old. I had just finished a book called Challenging Questions for Christians or something like that. And it was, it was incredible. He asked me, starting at chapter 1 to through <laughs> chapter 10, every question in that book. And I must have sounded amazing because I had just read the darn book. Um, but I answered his questions one after the other mm, after the other. We met mm. many times. And, and he would just say, what about... You know, evil. How do we know Jesus even existed? Yeah. Uh, what about Old Testament issues? What about uh, contradictions in the Bible? And again, I, I was young and I was I had just finished a book, so I answered question after the question after question. And I remember after several times we met, he looked up at me and said, "We've been meeting here, and honestly, you've answered most of my hardest questions. In fact, the more we talk, the more I realize I believe." And wow. I had a chance to lead him to the Lord. Because of God using apologetics, right. using the things that he had led me through to do that. And so I never want to forget the fact that God will use various methods, many methods, to, to bring people to him. And this is one of them. I like that example, Adrian, because especially against the backdrop of your grandfather, people ask me, so apologetics, like what even is that? I've never even heard of that word. And I always say apologetics is like evangelism. When you boil apologetics down to the root, what you're trying to do is you're trying to share enough truth about God that somebody gets closer to him. That's evangelism. That's apologetics. It's all the same thing. Whereas your, the example you gave with your grandfather, he might see or observe some kind of you know, guilty conscience or connection to law or whatever it is. And he said, you know what, I'm going to put my finger on that and see if that's a button that I can push that can help open this conversation about you and God. It's the same thing with apologetics. I think especially in the culture today, with the Internet and social media, those questions are all around us all the time. And I think if we don't make answering those questions a focus of the church people are just going to mass exodus, leave out the back door because the culture is engaging, especially young people, the culture is engaging with these questions. And if we're not there to answer them, they're going to think that answers don't exist and they're going to walk away. So to me, I see that your grandfather did it this way because that was the times and the situations that he was in, but you're doing the same thing in your culture. What a beautiful picture. I think that someone who says that there's no need for apologetics hasn't tried evangelism in the last 20 years. <laughs> yeah, there's 10 or 15 or 20 classic questions that always come up. And once you've got the answers to those, and there's probably you know dozens of books written on those 15, 20 questions, you kind of have an arsenal of, and it's not like you have, you know, boom, I'm going to slam down the hammer and they have to become a Christian. But what you've done is you've removed a lot of those obstacles where, 
the atheist or the antagonist or the opposition has said Christianity is for fools. It's for the weak-minded. They don't have any serious intellectual answers. And when you can remove that obstacle, now you've enabled people to grapple with the real news of the gospel, which is, okay, I'm a sinner. What do I do against, you know, me as a sinful person next to a holy God? How do I respond? But if people get tripped up by believing those lies, that Christianity is not an intellectual thing, I, I love how you said that, it's a think, it is a thinking man's religion, then they never get to the real question, which is, okay, so now you are a sinner before a holy God. What are you going to do about it? So what are some of the approaches to apologetics that you have found to be less effective as you've spent the last 20 years engaging and debating and living this out? Okay, well, what I think has not worked in apologetics is getting so focused on apologetics that thinking that's the only thing out there. When you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> and many people's questions are not necessarily apologetics questions, even though they might sound like it. A good example is a lady I spoke to just a few weeks ago, and she was talking about how her faith was challenged by the fact that there was a death in her family. And now she's asking the question, why would God allow this? She wasn't asking for a philosophical uh, response <laughs> to the nine points of why God allows evil, but rather there was hurt there. And yeah. someone like my grandfather would hear that in a very different way than an apologist hears that. Right, an apologist right, right. immediately pulls out the textbook and my grandfather would be the kind of person who would sit and cry with, with this person and basically bring them back into a loving uh, church that would support and be there for her and not thump her over the head uh, with the textbook. Right. Oh, that's good. I want to shift gears here and talk a little bit about your children. As dads, we do our best to figure out these answers for ourselves and talk with our wives and we also realize that we have got a huge responsibility to raise and train up our own children to understand the faith so that they can accept it as well. I know your story has included homeschooling and private schooling and public schooling. What has been your experience and what have you learned from that journey? Well, I'm smack in the middle of that journey. Uh, <laughs> my, I have kids. My oldest uh, just turned 13. And we're in the realm of the teenage years now <laughs> where out come the, the, the more interesting questions. <laughs> like you mentioned, I've got four kids and I come to a church like this and I'll give a talk and a hundred people show up and, and listen and take notes. And I go home and I say to my children, let's talk about apologetics. And they go run <laughs> off in the other room. <laughs> I think, um, which uh, makes me realize that apologetics with your family is not a thing to sit down and pull out a textbook again. It's a thing we need to weave into our, mm. our lives and our discussion, just like our faith. I don't want my Bible time with my children to be a formal event where we sit down and we, you know, everyone has their hands in their lap and they, they pay attention to the elder statesman who is now giving them their, their Bible for the day. I'm trying to learn this, how to weave it into our lives, how at the dinner table I bring up something that happened at work or something that I see on the news and I ask my kids, hey, look at this, here's what this person said and they're saying that you, you guys are, are stupid for being Christians. What, what do you think about that? And to start seeing them 
react and think and have to struggle their way through answers at the dinner table while trying to eat their peas. We, uh, apologetics is frequently interrupted by uh, eat more of your food, go sit down, uh, don't get up from the table. <laughs> don't pull your sister's hair. <laughs> exactly. And as a result, you're not lecturing to them. You were, we're living life together and thinking out loud. I'm thinking through these issues with them. And I see the fruits in the fact that they are now in a, in a public school where Though the, the teachers are good and wonderful and I like the, the education they're getting, they're very much secular. And the secularism creeps in ways that I never would have expected. Hmm. Now that they're at home and they're doing online school because of COVID, yeah. uh, I get to start seeing what they're doing. They're on their laptops and I see their teachers teaching. And somewhat recently we had a an incident where I realized a teacher was giving them a critical race theory lecture about modern politics and how the police are evil and a lot of this critical race theory that we hear about on TV. And it was coming to my 10-year-old daughter. Wow. And I was livid. I was. I said, we give our trust to these teachers and they will start to indoctrinate our kids. We spend our whole lives pushing in, in a certain direction and trying to instill our values. And then our kids go to school and, and behind our backs, they start to undermine those values. Mm. And I had discussions with both the teacher and the principal and realized that this is part and parcel of the public school uh, system. You can't rip this stuff out of there. In fact, the Oregon State Teaching Board actually mandates some of these kinds of classes. And so my hope of removing that from my kids' lives in a public school is not possible. Mm. So my options are put them in a Christian school or get them prepared. And I've used this year to do that. I've sat with my kids and kind of processed these classes with them. Some of these ideas are tough, and the answers to some of these issues, some of them they're not quite ready for, but they were thrown into it, and every kid is thrown into these things. And as parents, you've got to realize they're getting this, and the only question is, are, they, are you going to be part of that or not? And even if you do put your kids in Christian school, at some point... They're going to be out there. They're going to get these uh, lessons. And the only question that I've learned is when are you going to train them? You can train them now or wait for them to start questioning everything. Mm -hmm. That's good. Well, at the beginning of the broadcast, I mentioned that we have some exciting news. And you will be guest hosting a series of discussions about God and the Bible with your cousin. So tell us what that's going to look like. Sure. I'm excited for this. Uh, I have a large family, and some of our family has remained dedicated to the Lord, but others, unfortunately, have left the faith. But in most cases, we've remained close. My cousin Justin is an example of that. He recently told us that he is no longer a believer, but as he did that, we began to engage in really, really deep and good conversations around this. Not arguments, not the kind of thing you'd expect from people who have now very different worldviews, but rather we've delved into these topics with a mutual respect and it's grown my understanding, it's challenged me, uh, I've challenged him. So I want to continue these conversations with him on the radio just to allow people to listen in to show how a respectful conversation can be had between a Christian and an unbeliever. And and who knows, maybe we'll learn something in the process. But uh, these sorts of things are, are not only interesting, but they're critical for us to know how these conversations can be had and how we can have them with our own family members without getting into a fight. I'm so looking forward to that, Adrian, because all of the conversations between opposing views that people see on social media and on the Internet and TV and everything is one 
side against the other, and they're both just viciously attacking each other. There's no respect. There's no dialogue. And the aim is not truth. The aim is to destroy the other person. And so what a beautiful picture of two people, literally family, almost brothers, approaching this shoulder to shoulder rather than fist to fist, saying, let's go pursue truth together. And so we're really looking forward to that. And uh, like I said, Adrian will be guest hosting on this radio program. So look forward to that. Adrian, it's been great to have you, and I look forward to hearing the shows. Thank you. Now, how about you? Are your conversations with unbelievers marked by aggressive tactics, hurt feelings, and disappointed outcomes? Do you want to learn how to better defend your own faith and help people find good answers to the questions that they're struggling with? Well, the Ambassadors Forum is here to help you get started. Go to our website at theambassadorsforum.com. While you're there, you can look at some of the questions that we've already answered. You can ask us your hard question. Make sure to sign up to receive our monthly newsletter. You can browse through some of our other helpful resources. Make sure to follow us on Facebook. And sign up to join us for one of our monthly forum events where we have great speakers presenting on relevant topics. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 